Last week was Easter, and on Easter we celebrate Jesus' triumph over the grave. Uh, We declare that He is alive. We sing songs about uh, Jesus being alive. We, We tell stories about the empty tomb. Easter is about victory. So what happens when the Christian life doesn't look victorious? What happens when the reality of, of sickness, the reality of our, of our pains, the reality of our sufferings kicks in? Do, do we assume we've done something wrong? Do we assume that maybe the victory, maybe the victory is just a lie? Do we give up? Do we lose faith? Do we lose heart? By the time Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, he had been in prison for about three years, maybe more like four years. Now when we talk about Paul being in prison, I I do want to clarify, he's not sitting in a jail cell all this time. He's likely, very likely, under house arrest for three or four years. Sitting in an apartment, probably on a third floor apartment, a little room that he had rented himself. But the whole time he sat there, he's not allowed to leave. He's not allowed to go out. Visitors can come. People can bring him food. People can bring him gifts. People can bring him medicine. People can come visit. But Paul's not allowed to leave his house. And the entire time he's there, he's chained to the arm of a Roman guard. Which I think we'll see some influence of that by the time we get to chapter 6. But he's been, by the time he writes this letter, he's been in prison for three years, maybe four years. That's a long time. That's a long time to sit there and stare at four walls. That's a long time to to be chained to a Roman guard, unable to leave. And it's a long time for the people who love you, for the people who support you and believe in you to start to wonder, is he really innocent? I mean, he's got to be guilty of, of something. Is he really a good man? Is, is this really a part of God's plan? If Jesus can come out of an empty tomb, why can't Paul leave his room? Why can't he come out of that cell? Up until this point in the letter, Paul has focused his attention on the readers themselves. In chapter 1, we've gone over chapter 1 several times. In chapter 1, he told them, who they are in Christ, that we are blessed, we are chosen, we are forgiven, uh, we have been adopted, we have been filled with the riches of God's grace. He told us in chapter 1 who we are in Christ. In chapter 2, he told them who we, who he told, tells us who we are together in Christ, that we are the church, that we are one, that we are the body of Christ, that we are growing to be a temple to God. And here in chapter 3, Paul turns his attention on himself. And the reason is, he needs to clarify what's going on in his own life. Who he is, what God's plan is for him, and that they should not lose heart just because he's struggling. We're going to look at Ephesians 3, verses 1-13 through today. It's on page 977 in those blue Bibles. If you want to follow along in the YouVersion app, the notes are also available there. And I just want to admit up front, this passage is a little hard for us. Because this passage wasn't written for us. We didn't need this passage. From our perspective, 2,000 years later, it makes perfect sense that Paul spent all that time locked up in that cell. We know that we have much of the New Testament because Paul couldn't travel. All he had time to do was sit and write all day long. And so we have all these wonderful letters from Paul because he, he spent time sitting there writing. But in that long three or four years for him, for his 
friends. It, it had potential to be discouraging. And so while, while we look at the whole passage, I want to draw your attention first to the last verse we're going to look at. I want to draw your attention to verse 13, where Paul says, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. That's our point of connection. That's the point that connects us with this passage. Because if we're honest, we know what it's like to lose heart. We've been there. We've, we've lost heart before. We know what it's like to wonder, if Jesus is alive, why am I so miserable? Why isn't anything going my way? Why, why should I keep on believing? And so the, the comfort that Paul brought to those who first read this letter also speaks to us and it lets us know that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, we should not consider what we're going through as punishment. No matter what we're experiencing, this is not punishment. That's something interesting from my perspective happens at the beginning of this, of this passage. Paul, Paul gets distracted at the beginning. You ever get distracted? Paul gets distracted at the, at the very beginning of, of this chapter. He says in verse 1, for this reason, but then if you look on down into verse 14, Paul says, for this reason, so, so that whole 13, that first 13 verses here, uh, the, it's a distraction. It's really more of a digression. In, in fact, in Greek, it is three sentences. Two very long sentences and one last sentence in verse 13. The whole passage is a, is a digression. Paul has to stop and explain. They know he's in prison. They know he's suffering. And yet he's just told them that they have freedom in Christ. That they have forgiveness. They have innocence in Christ. That they have blessing in Christ. So why don't you have those things, Paul? Why are you suffering? You must have done something wrong. And so we begin in verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, a, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, and how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the Gospel. Okay, that's a lot to take in. <laughs> I'll admit it. That's a lot to take in. But I want you to see where Paul's attention is. In verse 2, he says, you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that has been given to me. God gifted Paul with His grace. And that's a gift that God doesn't take back. And it's a gift that Paul is not going to, to throw away. Nothing that's currently happening to him negates what God has given him. That was true for Paul. That was true for the Ephesians. And that's true for you and me. Now, we have to admit though, when we're going through those dark times, when we're going through that suffering, when we're going through that just very difficult time in our lives, it it can make God feel like He's very far away from us. Not just our own suffering, but when we see people we know and, and we love and we respect, when we see them going through difficult times, that can cause all of us to get discouraged. And, and so while we would never say that suffering is because of God's plan, we have to realize that God's plan is bigger than suffering. That 
That, that God's plan can envelop our suffering, can encompass our suffering and our pain. We saw that in Jesus, didn't we? We, we see that in, in Paul. And Paul says you can see that in him. And, and we can even see that in each other. Paul says, I do not want you to lose heart. This is not punishment. And then he goes on and he writes and lets us know that this is not out of God's control. He goes on in verse 7, Of this Gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of His power. To me, though I am, <clears throat> though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. Again, that's one of our long sentences. But what Paul is saying is the same grace that saved him the same grace that saved him also made him a minister of the Gospel. And even though he spent these years, three years, crammed in a, in a small room, chained to a Roman guard, the, the Gospel has been preached. People have been hearing the good news. He says in verse 9 that the light was being brought to everyone, even in his suffering. Paul was able to see that God's will was being accomplished. And so he goes on in verses 11 and 12, this was according to the eternal purpose that He has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in Him. I know our struggles can be overwhelming. I know there are moments when, when all we know is the pain that is right in front of us. But there are times we need to step back and see the bigger picture. We need to step back and get a bigger perspective, just like Paul does here. In verse 12, he's able to look beyond his current physical need, that he is locked up, that he is unsure about his future, and yet he's still able to find boldness and confidence in his faith because he knows that God is still in control. The message of this passage is that, that God is in control, that His plan is in place just as it was from the beginning. And we need to hear that too. We live in a, a world of uncertainty. We see that uncertainty on a global scale. Just watch the news. But we also see the evil that's around us in, in our everyday life. We're confronted with that reality. And, and on a more personal level, we feel the uncertainty in our own lives. But Paul's words here remind us that God is sovereign, that His plan is still in place. And no matter what, He will bring it to completion. No matter what, we are part of His plan. And again, it comes down to that final verse, to verse 13. I ask you not to lose heart. That's Paul's goal in writing. And it's what he wants his readers to see. And part of not losing heart is realizing that you are not alone. It's so easy in, in the midst of our pain to, to feel very alone. Imagine what it must have been like for Paul as he sat there under house arrest for three years, chained to that guard, un unable to leave. There must have been times when, when he felt very alone, and yet his whole purpose in writing this letter is to remind us that we're not alone, that God has called us together, that He's called us to be His church, that, that we are here for each other. 
Back up in verse 10, or verse 6, excuse me, he, he writes about the mystery, and that's a word that he repeats over and over again. He writes about the mystery. It's a mystery. It's, it's something that no one saw coming. And the mystery was that God was bringing the Gentiles into the kingdom. Not just the Jews, but the Gentiles also. That they would be sharers in the same body through the church. That they would be sharers in the same promises. That we would be one church through Christ. And then in verse 10, he reminds us that no matter what our struggle, no matter what our suffering, he says there in verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places because of the life that we live together. Because of the way we worship together, the way we serve together, the way we love one another. God is showing off His grace even, even to those in heavenly places. Even those in heavenly places get, get a picture of God's grace and His goodness because of the way that we care for one another. Our relationships, the way we support and encourage one another, reveal God's purpose. They reveal that we are part of His plan. They reveal that none of us are alone. And they show us that God has a plan even for your pain. God has a plan even for your pain. And, and I hope you can hear that for yourself, just as Paul needed to hear that for himself. There's no place in Paul's pain for shame. There's no room for him to close himself off and, and suffer alone. Rather, through the church, he found boldness and he found confidence and he found faith so that he could write to the, to the people in Ephesus so that we could read. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is to your glory. I ask you not to lose heart. It's not the first time he wrote it. It's not the last time he wrote it either. He's used that phrase before. I ask you not to lose heart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, Paul wrote this. He said, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For our light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, they're passing away, but the things that are unseen are eternal. I love that passage. Paul looks at the, all that he had suffered. The imprisonment he had suffered. The, the loss of friends that he had suffered. The, the, the times that his life was threatened. He looks at all that he suffered, and yet by keeping his eye on, on the grace of God, by keeping his eye on, on God's plan and, and on God's, God's, the promise of eternity, he was able to look at his troubles and say, these are light and momentary afflictions. These don't even compare to what God has for me in eternity. Something eternal is coming. Something that these problems don't even compare to. Those are the words of the Apostle Paul. And some of you know our own Paul. Paul Honnold has been going through a lot of struggles of his own as well. And Paul wanted to come and share a little bit today about uh, what he's been experiencing. And I told him that it would perfectly fit with our message today. So Paul, would you come share? I want to first tell the congregation how ministering all of you have been. You've asked probably between the two of us Every Sunday, there's been 20 people ask us how we're doing, do you know anything? And for the last eight weeks, it, I've been 
I use Bob Walker's phrase, I'm doing okay. Bob would always answer with, I'm doing okay, and that's what I would say. As we didn't know much more than what we'd shared already, but we were in Chicago this week, as most of you know, and I had another CT, and I had a lot of blood work, and I saw the mesothelioma oncologist. That's a lot of words. And I can spell mesothelioma. Yeah, I can. And Joy and I went in to see her, and she gave us a report about the CT, and you could take it good news, you could take it kind of neutral news like we did, because I'd had two more uh, chemos since the last CT, and there was no change. Everything was holding steady, so I'm going to take that as a positive that things, but the downside, she ordered up more chemo, which I was expecting, as was Joy, to get a little break from chemo for a while, and she said, instead of three chemicals, I'm going to put you on one that I've been giving you, which we knew, and uh, we'll have to have four more treatments of that to see how you go. So that's kind of all I know, folks, but um, we won't know anything else to late July, early August, probably, because there's no CTs ordered until these four chemos are out of the way. I had three points. That was the first to bring you up to date about how Joy and I are doing, and we're doing okay. Number two, and you might have to help me, but <clears throat> there's a special group of people that are ministering to us. They're family members that have lost through early deaths uh, family members with cancer. Um, their dads, husbands, wives, mom, in one case that we know of, brothers or other that are close in their families, and we knew all these people but one. But since October, when the news first was broken to us, there hasn't been a week that we haven't received at least a card from this group of people. And it's not organized, but it's not just the card. This group of people sends letters, they send well-written notes, well-authored notes. And I, John and I just appreciate it because inside all of you, there's this core group that is ministering to us like you mentioned in your sermon. And um, it's meant so much to, to us and we appreciate it. And I, I thank all of you. Um, last we were, we want to talk a little bit about our faith like we did when we were up here, I think early November. And we asked you to pray for our faith because at that point, we didn't know where our faith would go. We were afraid that we would get drugged down. The evil one can't have our faith, and he wants to take our faith away from us. And we've been taught that, and it's a constant battle about being discouraged. And thinking that, you know, it's nonsense what we believe in, but it isn't nonsense. It's true, folks. And um, our faith has frankly grown in this several months that we've had to see what's ahead for us. And I mentioned the last time that we've received blessings. Not only our faith has grown, but we keep looking for blessings that encourage us 
and those haven't stopped either. Um, we still meet new encouragers, or we experience something in life that we take as a blessing. Now, some of those are kind of small, and if I was healthy, I wouldn't recognize it as a blessing, but uh, the biggies aren't biggies anymore in my life. I, I've changed. The biggies are something totally different to what my list would have been a year ago. And uh, I look for them. Joy looks for them. And just an example, one encourager in particular was a young lady that was going to graduate with her medical degree in August. And I was in to one of my doctors, and she was shadowing the doctor, but she was far enough along the doctor wasn't even in the room with me. And um, she checked me over, asked all these questions, and was very professional. And I, I, like most of you know, I visit. And I said, when do you graduate? And I thought she was, you know, that, not that close to graduation, but it was August. And I said, are you going to practice here when you're out of school? And she said, no. She said, I'm going back to Wisconsin. She said, I'd like to. But I had three family members back there with cancer. And she says, I want to go back there to minister to them and help the family with whatever I can. And so at that point, I asked her her name. And I got it, and I said, can I pray for your family members the next several weeks and your graduation? And she said, you certainly can. And she said, I'll be praying for you. Now, that was a God moment. Yeah, some, some young person that, you know, you don't know where their faith is, and she just automatically said it like most of us would. I'll be praying for you. Um, so, you know, there are times when cancer gives you good times. It really is. And I've learned through all this, our family doesn't have cancer. This is something new. We've never had cancer in our family. It's always been heart at old age. And, you know, so at first I thought I was being cheated out of something when I said, I'm supposed to have heart, you know, to myself. And we never knew how to treat cancer patients. Uh, we've tried to, but we certainly know more about it now. And just to hopefully leave with happiness on your faces, we've received some funny cards. <laughs> it's cards that before all this came on, I wouldn't have sent because, you know, cancer's serious. But they were well chosen and they brought a laugh to my face. And Joy laughed about them. And I look back at some of those. One is, is a um, beaver on the front of a card. Or, prairie dog. Yeah, prairie dog on the front. And he's holding up his hands saying, be healed. And I thought, oh, great, somebody's being sarcastic. Well, inside, there's a well-written note. And I appreciated that. And uh, just continue to pray for remission or healing, that's what I'm asking for. Uh, we don't know what's ahead. This, this group of family members, they know what the journey's like. Uh, prognosis, I asked her, and it, 
for a cancer patient, it's long, but uh, hoping that she's right is just an opinion. But thank you, Brett, this morning for that. We'll pray. We'll close here in just a moment. We've got a. Don't go ahead and stand. <laughs> Chad, when we get at the end, I want you to. It's the same prayer we did last week. We're going to use this for the next few weeks. It's uh, Paul's prayer that he eventually gets to at the end of chapter 3. I think it's a wonderful prayer to pray, but let's pray right now. Father, uh, we can pray about remission. We can pray about healing. Um, Father, uh, ultimately, uh, we look for You to be glorified. We want to see that glory through healing. We want to see that glory through wholeness. Uh, we want to see You glorified through, uh, through a long and, and healthy and happy life. Um, Father, we know that that's possible. We, we look for that. We thank You that along the way there are those that bring encouragement, those that bring peace, and even those that bring humor and prairie dogs and, uh, and something to, to fill our moments with laughter. Thank You for Paul and Joy. Thank You that, that in sharing their struggles that they are helping us all to not lose heart. We pray for our brother Don who's not here today. And we ask, Father, that as much as we've learned from Paul and Joy, we're able to share that with Don. I thank You, Father, because this family loves You, that no one suffers alone here. And I pray, Father, that we'll look for those in our community that might be alone. And we might be able to show them the love and, the, and the, the peace and the grace that comes through Your Son, Jesus. Let's pray this together. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. And go in peace.